Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Hello, listeners. Um, I just wanted to let you know that we had some audio difficulties while recording during this episode. Um, so our audio quality is not our greatest of all time, but... It does get better as the recording goes on, so please stick with us. And I promise the conversation is great. So give our audio quality a chance. And thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club, where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film The Harvey Girls from 1946 with my wonderful guests Zoe Palco and Kyle Cirilla. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and this week on my show, I have my wonderful guests and friends, our returning guest, Zoe Palco, and hey. our friend who we have spoken about several times on the show, <laughs> Kyle Cirilla. Made it. Hi, you guys. Thanks for coming. The legend. We watched The Harvey Girls from 1946. What'd you think? It wasn't like the best thing ever, and it wasn't the worst thing ever. I think it had really amazing highs and some points that I was like, why? But besides that, all in all, I had a very pleasant experience. Solid assessment. Kyle, how'd you feel? It's interesting that it exists. That You're like, how did this? get made like this and then if you don't care so much you're also like it's judy garland and who so i mean it doesn't get any better than that so if you need to do a deep dive on judy garland that's okay so i forgot to mention that we were not really going to focus on judy garland's backstory today because we covered her in a previous podcast when we did meet me in st louis so if you're like uh i really want to hear judy garland's backstory please check out our meet me in st louis podcast episode because that is where we discuss it we're going to kind of focus on other people today and I feel like it's a gem of a film because there are so many solid people behind it and kind of like a lot of up and coming people behind it too. So it's this film that has so much talent involved. And I think it's just really interesting to see talent at the beginning of its journey. Like, I think this film is a gem. I think it has so many solid moments, but I think the reason it's not really deemed like a full on, it's a classic, but like not a full on like classic that we reference a lot is because of the like kind of unusual or quirky moments, let's call them, that we're probably going to talk about later. Uh, all in all, I love this film. I think it's so much fun. It's such a good, like, rainy day, pretty palette, pretty dresses, fun songs movie, you know? Um, and then the reason I selected this film for this week uh, is because this will be airing the week of Mother's Day, and my mother requested it. 
So happy Mother's Day, Aww. Mom. Um, she listens to this podcast called The History Chicks, and they did an episode all about the Harvey Girls. So she like learned the historical events of the Harvey Girls and was like, have you heard of this film? And I was like, yes, Mother. Yes. I've watched it several times when you were in the house. <laughs> there with me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's why I wanted to do the Harvey Girls what I was struck by this viewing, like we're going to get to the plot synopsis, but what I was struck by was how many similarities and callbacks there are to Meet Me in St. Louis yes. and to even Wizard of Oz. They did a lot of callbacks in this film. It was like almost shocking. Like even just her wardrobe, the things that they put on her were references to Meet Me in St. Louis. I, I just didn't remember that. I didn't expect that. Like in the opening, she's wearing this blue kind of puffy sleeved gown with a yellow cravat is that what that is and it's it mirrors her meet me in st louis dress that's the same and then in the waltzing uh scene she's wearing a white dress that's almost the same but slightly fancier as her like meet me in st louis waltzing dress and that's played, red and they played skip to my loo <laughs> they played in skip the to background my loo. of that dance and i'm like oh i Got that one. Because we watched Mimi and St. Louis together. So there's always picking up on these two. And like Marjorie Maines in both of them. Um, they have similar structural things and similar like her fight with John Truitt is similar to her fight with Ned. And yeah, there were so many callbacks. And it was almost like they were like, let's recreate this magic. That movie was so great. If it ain't broke. And then, I mean, Wizard of Oz, we have Ray Bolger in this who played the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. So he and Judy are together again. And there's a line at the end where she's like, thank you, M. And in my head, I added like Auntie M. It was just very like, ah. <laughs> so I just wanted to like shout those out because they kept popping up. And I was like, oh my God, they are really, whether they mean to or not, they are really referencing Meet Me in St. Louis consistently. Even Atchison Topeka and the Santa Fe is like the train version of the trolley song. Completely. Why did they not just keep going with it? There should have been a boat song. Thank you, Kyle. A bus song. But they're somewhere on transportation and go. Now it would be like the scooter song. That's what I would want. This is actually Dorothy's future, how she actually decided to actually get out of Kansas. Like, please, God, girl, leave. And this is like her new life. <laughs> like that to me, even though yeah, time doesn't make sense. Cause, but I like in my little heart, I'm like, oh, this is Dorothy's like future. And then she meets the scarecrow again and everything's fine. Um, So I'll do a quick plot synopsis for people at home because some people don't actually want to watch the movie. They just want to hear the podcast about it. And I respect that. This film, Harvey Girls, we open on a train. There's this exciting song. We know it's Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, but it's all these title cards reminding us of old-timey train travel. Because in 1946, this would have been old-timey train travel with, like, the steam engine and, like, going through the bad deserts. So it's like, hmm, nostalgia. Remember all of this? And then uh, we see Judy. She has this gorgeous ballad. Uh, some people have criticized it for being a little bit boring. I don't know. I think it's dreamy and nice. I think it's fine. Um, like, you're not going to remember it. I know it had the word valley in it. And she was like, this is the life I want for myself. And I thought, oh, that's nice. So yeah, she she's on this train. She meets up with a bunch of these ladies who are going out into the West to become Harvey girls, which are waitresses back in the day. Um, and it was actually... There are so many cool things I learned about Harvey Girls from the podcast, uh, The History Chick, so I recommend checking it out. But if you wanted to make money for your family in like a respectable quote-unquote way, you could become a Harvey Girl. Harvey Girls are waitresses um, in the Old West helping to kind of like civilize, quote-unquote civilize, the areas. Um, and they end up in this town. 
uh, called Sand Rock, which is a real place in Arizona. So that was all I could think about half the movie was like, oh my God, Arizona is so hot. You don't have air conditioning and you're wearing those outfits. That must have sucked. So many petticoats. I mean, they were in <laughs> California. But to just to think of the time, I was like, ooh, that would have been hard because it's the 1870s. They end up in this town and the town has a saloon and it's run by this dude named Ned. And Judy is heading west, not to become a Harvey girl, but to marry this guy named Hartsey, who she met through the mail. But guys, guess what? She wasn't really conversing with Hartsey via the mail. It was this guy, Ned. It was a Cyrano moment. He used his fancy language to get her to come out west and marry this other guy. And then she shows up and Ned's like, oops, sorry, it was me. And they don't get along right away. Because she decides instead of marrying, you know, this kind of bumpkin-y dude, she's going to become a Harvey girl, which she could have done because they didn't require any experience and they would fully train you. She becomes a Harvey girl. She's on one side of the street. He owns the saloon. He's on the other side of the street. Their businesses are competing. So they don't really get along. There are various antics that try to shut the Harvey girl's establishment down throughout uh, Judy and Ned fall in love. Uh, and there are some fun subplots. And at the end of the day, the Harvey house does indeed get burned down. But you know what? The saloon becomes the Harvey house. And they all come together. And Judy and Ned get married. And there are a lot of fun musical numbers throughout. And Angela Lansbury's there. She plays like the sassy saloon singer who's very likely a prostitute. Also, ooh, this is something I wanted to talk about in general. So at the top, they have those placards that are like, the Harvey girls are the unsung pioneers of the West, which is kind of true. You know, like these were brave young women going out into, they didn't know where for an adventure. Things didn't always go super smoothly, but like the Harvey company actually was really cool to them. But I feel like the other unsung hero of the West, based on watching Adam Ruins Everything, is like prostitutes. Like they contributed their money to the town, to the community. So I feel like they kind of pit the, the prostitutes slash saloon singers versus the Harvey girls. But in reality, they both helped. So I want to give props to those sex workers slash saloon singers. The movie could have painted the prostitutes way worse than they did. They could, I mean, especially Angela Lansbury's character, who I definitely want to talk about in detail because Mrs. Potts has never looked so good. It's like she could have been one-dimensional, pure villain, or dumb, or just somebody you just like generally you're supposed to hate or like not care about. And she isn't. Like she has more dimensions than that. You don't feel like she's an evil bad person. Like we, it's kind of setting the audience up to not judge her really in in a way that I would expect a movie from 1946 to do so i was i was impressed by that well and judy even apologizes to her at the end like she's like i'm sorry i judged you and it's kind of because she <laughs> thinks she's gonna have to become one of them to be with her husband <laughs> to be with her man it's like a very sandy from greece moment tell me about it cowboy as soon as all the prostitutes were on the balcony i was like pink ladies That's what they are. i can see it well, I like that we're calling them prostitutes because in the 40s, they were very much like, these are just singers and dancers. They don't say the word prostitute, but like as a modern viewer, we're going like, they oh, yeah. would have been, that's very likely the scenario. So anyway, I just wanted to put all that out there. Do you guys want to go through some of the musical numbers or some of the issues that you had with it? I want to talk about just because you're talking about the opening because it made me laugh when it happened. So you, like you said, you get through all the like the credits and then we literally see a view of the sky with clouds. And then we hear a beautiful singing voice. 
and it's Judy Garland, and then it comes down to her on the train singing this ballad. It's literally like the voice of God, yeah. like an angel voice. Like she's getting this edit, like leading lady. And I think I don't think the things before that she's you know even like Mimi in St. Louis is only like what, what two years before this. Like she's still kind of like ingenuity kind of thing. She's getting like this different edit. It's her movie. It's so clearly her movie. After she came off the train and everyone is singing like the song, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, like the Topeka, let's go through all the things. Um, she comes off the train and everyone's hushed and everyone turns around and looks at her and like gawks at her and acts like she is a star. And no one blinks an eye. Like I didn't blink an eye when I watched it. And then I thought about it later. I'm like, that makes no cinematic sense at all but i'm like i'm here for it i buy into it because it's judy like we get it like it totally makes sense it's her it's her movie yeah. she's doing a scene of like being timid like five seconds before then she comes off and she's like i've made it boys walking down the stairs like she's you know hello dolly or mame or something like she's getting back well, she didn't actually it. want to do this film she wanted to do a film called Yolanda and the Thief with Fred Astaire that her husband was directing because she's married to Vincent Minnelli at this point. So she like did not want to do this film, did not want to be here. And the people making it were like, we are going to tailor this specifically for you. Like we are going to showcase all of your strengths. This is going to be about you, Judy. And so, yeah, that moment is the one where they're all the buildup is just for her because that whole song is supposed to like replicate the sound of a train. The train is speeding up. It's slowing down. It's waiting at its station. And she is like the main event of the station. It slows down just for her. And it's so interesting too, because it's that song is such a a weird bug of a song. Like the song was a hit before the movie came out. Um, they like released it as its own single. But then they add this whole like pre-song to it where it's like an exposition, almost pattery kind of song. And I think that's what's really interesting about this musical in particular is that it's not a normal musical with these giant dance numbers. Like a lot of it is based on George Sidney, the director's like camera work. He his camera work provides the movement. And they were very specific in how they they like don't have real choreography. They have like set movement. I can, you know, it's like we're all gonna tilt our bodies one way. And it's not like dancing choreography, it's like specific to film choreography, which I think is so cool. Um, so yeah, that's some of the things that kind of make this really unique. Like if you choose to watch this again, check out the camera work that George Sidney does. It's incredible. The way he'll start up high, end up down low, or the way he'll pull back and you see each dancer like zigging in and out in a certain way. It's his camera work is so freaking cool. So if you're going to watch it again, check out how the camera moves because it takes the place of choreography and we don't miss it. I saw that the Harvey Girls movie was basically going to be a drama, not musical. And then once Oklahoma came out, they were like, we should probably make this Western a musical because people want it. I think that's actually like a lot of what, after I read that, like that changed a lot of my viewing because I feel like they were like, they're trying to adapt to the adaptation into something else. But when I was thinking about it, it was like the big kind of like thing you've seen a lot of those old reviews of Oklahoma is that it doesn't start with like a bunch of leggy girls dancing, that it starts with a guy off stage singing like a ballad and then he comes on stage they start this sort of the same way like a voice off stage and then we lead it to her and it's in a ballad that as you kind of said like it's kind of you're kind of like this is the this is what we're going for and we're on like this crazy train moving and she's just like singing this lovely ballad that doesn't seem to go like i was thinking because i hadn't seen this in a long time was like oh like this movie opens with 
interesting speaking in the same state. It's like you're like that must be like how the whole thing opens. Like maybe there's a little exposition. We go right into that, and like you, it takes a while to actually get to what feels like the opening number. You're of totally the show. right, and it, they have such a different buildup. And I actually I totally wrote that down too about Oklahoma because I felt. I felt what you were just saying, where it was like it reminded me so much of the opening of Oklahoma. And I read that thing where it was supposed to be um, a project made for Lana Turner, which is interesting because Judy Garland always felt like she could never measure up to Lana Turner. And Clark Gable, I think, was going to be like against Lana Turner. So like, and this dude, I don't know this actor very well. John Hodiak. Like, they picked somebody that looked exactly like him. Just well, and he, he's interesting, too, because um, his career happened. Like, he, him being a leading man happened because of World War II, because a lot of the men that were fighting in the war that were movie stars couldn't, like, do their parts. And he had high blood pressure, so he couldn't be, like, fighting in the war. He couldn't be active. So he ends up getting a bunch of lead roles during this time period. And then when all the men come back, he's, like, relegated to, like, the secondary spot again. And he died pretty young, so we'll never really know. He died at 41. So we're never going to really know like what he could have been. But I just think that's so interesting too. Like the whole reason he had all of this was because he was kind of like the fill-in guy when everybody was off to war. We were talking about the Atchison to begin the Santa Fe, how big that musical number is. It's a great number though. I mean, it's really great. And I think that some of the other songs that come after it are solid, good songs. Some of them are like really good, but because that one is so good right in the beginning it almost makes me not as excited for what comes after that like I want another big musical thing and it comes close to it when they do the waltzing and the whole party and that's really fun but it's a long time between the train song and the waltz song like there's a lot in between those like really fun big numbers so I think part of me was kind of expecting more of that um so yeah Addison Topeka Santa Fe is great and Kyle's right it takes us a while to get there and the reason it does is because we need to learn who Judy Garland is and what kind of person she is and we need to learn about these damn Harvey girls and what they are all about and we know that Judy is nice because Judy is on this train she is hungry and she wants to eat and she's only got this little bite of sandwich left and she does this great moment of physical comedy where she like prepares as though she's going to have a grand meal and then has the teeny tiny sandwich and she eats like a little bite of it and then a kid comes by and like looks at her like she's hungry and Judy doesn't want to, but she gives the kid her sandwich. And that's how we know that she's kind, but she's also like us. Cause yes, she does give the kid her sandwich, but like she doesn't really want to, like none of us really would. You know, we're hungry. The Harvey girls see this and they see how kind she is. And they're like, you know what? We're gonna be kind too. And we're gonna offer her a sandwich, but through like a way that's, you know, have you ever tried this amazing sandwich? Oh, I'm too full. I couldn't have a bite. Would you like it, Judy? Um, And we go into obviously, Judy's great, fantastic monologue about who she is, why she's here. We learn about her getting married and Judy's performance in this scene. I just love so much. The eating acting that she does is just, I mean, brill. She's really eating though. Um, She's really eating and she just acts the shit out of that sandwich. It's like her character is acting too. Like her character's like, I have food. I'm not out of food. I don't want anyone to know because she's like too proud. But the genius of that, too, is like we're getting obviously information about her, but that's like the whole reason the Harvey restaurants exist is because there wasn't places to get food in a lot of these places or you had to like jump off and jump on so fast that you couldn't get stuff. So it's giving you like the reason for the movie and like 
and information about her at the same time. Quality so like, exposition. Quality exposition. And then we get personal exposition through the song Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. So everyone gets off the train and we learn each girl like where they're from and like a little bit about them through their fun little like patter or their little like that we learn that the mean girl has pretension because she talks about being from Paris and it's Paris, Illinois. I really want to know her backstory. Like I want a spinoff. Like you grew up in a town you got married, you are not married anymore, and you almost died there. I really want to know your story. That seems very interesting to me. I kind of felt this thing where I was like, after you watch this movie, you're like, I don't really care about this romance much. I'd rather it be like the movie Stage Door where all the girls, like the, the actors all live together, but it's like all these women live together and like, it's all about them. And like the men are kind of ancillary. Yeah. And we don't have a, a, a resolution for really any yes. of them either, which I really missed. Like I wanted to know what happened to so many of them. And I'm sure we'll talk about all of this, but like the blacksmith number, like where does she end up? I want her to find her crazy adventure. So I think she was supposed to end up with Ray Bolger, but the actress that played her was pregnant during filming and she kept showing more and more and they didn't shoot her scenes at the top. So like after she's wearing that giant like apron in the blacksmith scene and that was like the end of them being able to shoot her because she looked too pregnant for the rest of the shoot. So it kind of kills me that they didn't shoot her stuff up front because we would have had this whole like extra, she had a ton of scenes with Ray Bolger that never got filmed, that were never shot. That sucks. We cut Will Parker and Ada Annie out of most of Oklahoma. And it's like, you can tell that there's a lot of not fun happening right now. And even in the exposition where we get all these girls and then all of a sudden, you, you met them at least on the train or seen who they are. Ray Bolger's just up there dancing with them. I literally like was writing little notes and I was like, who are you? <laughs> Where'd he come from? Because I don't know if like, because they didn't shoot this stuff with him and her, they were like, we can't cut him because he's like famous Ray Bolger. Yeah, because he has nothing to do with the actual Harvey girls. You think that he does. And then you're like, wait, no, he's the new town blacksmith who's going to have one scene where he actually doesn't know how to blacksmith. Only this fantastic woman, Alma, played by the great Virginia O'Brien, is the blacksmith. And we're, we're never going to resolve anything. He's just going to be there to dance sometimes. And we're all going to be delighted by it. And that's about it. His manic, crazy dancing. I feel like there was parts of this that, like, especially after knowing that, like, Oklahoma just happened. There's some, like, musical theater storytelling that, like, that sequence where they have that Virginia uh, O'Brien has that song with him and like the whole black sequence feels like it's from like a review like it just we popped a number in here it could be from anywhere when Judy has that the whole sequence where she's like gonna go shoot up to get the meat back that feels like a like a vaudeville like you know like in some of these old movies we're like they're like we gotta put their famous bit in here because like that's what they were known for it feels like that and even at the end of it where she finally like finishes that whole bit and that sequence down it literally has like a playoff of like da -da 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 -da, or something like that where it's like they play her off and like the next the next act comes on and i think also they thought about that gun scene with judy and i i feel like they were just in a room going like if we put judy garland holding two pistols in a saloon in a preview that'll get butts and seats well, and I think it was one of the physical like comedy moments that they were like, we've got Judy Garland. She's really good at acting and she's really good at doing like subtle physical comedy. I think it's a little more subtle than, you know, she's not like a she's Marx great. brother. She's, it's got like reality behind it. 
But she's got three three physical comedy moments in this movie. She's got the the gun scene. She's got like the nah. girl fight scene, which I'm not a fan of. I feel like it was put in there to show like women are just as strong as men. And I'm like, yeah, but like nah. we wouldn't. That's not no. All that scene is is Judy Garland like putting her fist up, going put him up, put him up, put him up, and like not really doing anything. And the Harvey girls would have gotten literally fired for that. So like they would not do that. They would not be hanging and swinging from like those chandeliers trying to hit people with whatever that was they were hitting people with because they would have lost their jobs. I think your apron would have gotten dirty, ladies, and that's one of the things you shouldn't do. Fun fact, the Harvey girls in real life, everything was like shipped out. They had it all set up on the railroad because the railroad paid for like a bunch of stuff for them because it was like in cooperation with the railroad. So like they didn't do their own laundry. They would like send everything out to like headquarters and headquarters would do all that for them. So they were always spotless because of HQ. The third comedy moment was the sandwich. Like those are Judy's three big. They were like, three is a funny number. Put in three physical comedy bits with Judy Garland and we've got a movie. And then the songs too. The um, the only other song that we've heard of sort of is the Wait and See song, which I feel like I've heard a billion times in my life. And you don't associate it with this film. You don't think of it as being a song from this film. Oh, I think also like, they're like, oh, we cut Ray Bolger's part to nothing. And now we like have to add more physical comedy or it was like the piece was more about that in general so it was like she wasn't the only one like this world is just physical comedy that we live in i was gonna ask you guys what your top two songs were and mine are obviously atchison and topeka and the santa fe which i'm sure is also your guys top song and then i also love it's a great big world and i love it for several reasons one because it like actually is sweet and has heart but also it's like unintentionally ironic where like there's some very silly things in that song that i do laugh at a little bit but like judy trying i whenever she does those ballet arms above her head you get the sense that she's making fun of it do you know what i mean like she's like this is dumb do you guys think this is dumb i think this is dumb so like it's got a little silliness in it but it's like at the end of the day this is a song about like three girls being vulnerable together like sharing what their dreams were and how their dreams didn't really work out but how they still have hope I think this song is so sweet. And then when they do the old lady cane thing, it tickles me. And it's something that like a 23 year old says, right? It's like, oh, I had all these dreams and my life's not working out. I'm going to be old soon. I'm going to be 40. Like that's what that, I mean, to this day, 23 year olds say that. Love you 23 year olds, but it's what you say. And I, that's, I agree. <laughs> that song is really sweet. And to me, it was like, we had this little world that we thought we understood. And if we do these certain things that we're going to fit in, in a way that's gonna make us happy and it didn't work out. So we did this crazy thing and came out here. But I love how they all are, but I'm still doing that one thing that actually makes me happy. I like crocheting or knitting really well. Like I actually do love dancing. Like I'm never gonna sell my dance shoes and I'm still waiting for the love of my life. I still have my petticoat. For me, maybe this is me like putting it on, like wanting something more out of the sun than what it is. But to me, it's kind of like now they, they're still doing those things, but it's more for them as opposed to being in this society where it's like, if I do these things, then I'll be happy. It's like, well, it didn't work out. I'm going to do something completely different, but I still like doing some of them. So I'm going to do them for me because I, you know, like I, and owning it more for them. Like, I, I like that song a lot. I think it's sweet. That was what was so cool about the Harvey Girls in general as an institution, because at that time, there were not a lot of options for women in general. So the Harvey girls opened up a respectable option. If you were not a person that could like maybe go to school and some of them did go to college, but if you were someone who couldn't have a certain future, the Harvey girls opened up a future for you that was like respectable 
that, you know, where you could actually support your family. They paid them really well and they like provided room and board and all of these things. They had a rule that you had to sign a contract where you couldn't get married for six months of working there because they would lose waitresses so quickly because the waitresses would go to these like new territories and fall in love and get married. So they had to make like a rule where it was like, okay, if you choose to get married, you don't get paid. Like, And Angela Lansbury, that's like a line of hers in this. It's not necessarily my, my favorite song, but in my memory of what the Harvey girls were before I watched it again, I kind of, I think because of that pretty big perfection, I remember that we need to like have a shorthand for Train the Santa song. Fe song because it's like so many ways. Like, A-T-S-F. And it has like those moments where, it, you know, it keeps building and we have like these 40s jazz chords that they're singing that are, I'm sure it's Kate Thompson is the music. I knew you were going to notice her. I was like, Kyle's going to notice Kate Thompson. Because she's Liza Minnelli's godmother and the author of um Eloise at the Plaza but she's like known for that like and she had used to have like a cabaret act with like voice behind her and they would do those crazy like jazz crazy chords but I remember like those kind of like there's like these moments of you can't help of knowing that this movie was made in the 40s and I kept thinking about like oh this is like kind of like it's like a 40s score but they're just in the west and looking actually going back about it it actually is like this more kind of like we are trying to write something that's more like kind of isn't of a period and like that moment with those three girls does really feel like it could have come out of carousel or oklahoma and they even kind of have a little like agnes demille kind of thing going on with their choreography and stuff like that and so i kind of took it up like i was like oh this is like an actual like real like earnest moment opposed to so many musicals that think of, i think of the 40s and 50s being like we're on a stage and now we're dancing and now we're done and we're back to the story where actually this isn't necessarily propelling the plot, but it actually is like character development. So it's kind of interesting where I don't, I don't expect that from the 40s movie musical. I think earnest so. is a really good word for it. That's, it's a very earnest moment in general. And I feel like this movie does, I don't know, it puts a premium on these sweet little moments versus like showmanship. That's probably why I like it so much. Because again, I can acknowledge it's not like an excellent musical per se. But it's to me, it's like a very a musical that has a lot of heart. And I love things that have a lot of heart. It's more like charming or and I think they're trying to like get back to the era because we're in the 40s. So this is only like 60 years ago. That's us having a movie about the 70s, right? Or like the, you know, like like or the 60s or something like that. Like that's not really like it's like your grandparents were alive or your, your, your parents were kids, like the nostalgia isn't really that yeah. far away from this time period to the people going to the movies. Well, and part of um, the Harvey Girls nostalgia in general, this movie kind of cemented the Harvey Girls like forever in pop culture history in general. But there was a resurgence of tales about the Harvey Girls coming out around the 1940s because a lot of them came out of retirement to help during the war effort. They would train these waitresses a certain way so that they were they, they had like a system for ordering uh, so everyone kind of knew what was going on at every table at all times based on where your glass was on the table. They knew what to bring you. They were really great at like expedient friendly service. So during the war, this ended up being like a really helpful skill <laughs> when dealing with like large groups of men. And a lot of these women came out of retirement to like help with the war effort in various fronts. So there was a lot of sentiment for the Harvey girls popping back up because it was like, oh, remember Remember the good they did during World War II, how they like all came together and like used their specific skill set and helped out? So yeah, I, I think that was like part of this too. It was like, remember, remember these women and and what they did and what they are they just did for us recently. I did want to talk about the music though. Johnny Mercer wrote the lyrics. 
and Harry Warren wrote the music. So it's like two people that are like Johnny Mercer freaking wrote the lyrics to Moon River. Like he's one of the best lyricists of all time. We have him and he he's one of the best lyricists of all time. And yet he wrote the line, the people gotta eat again, we repeat. So <laughs> he did write that. Um, but Harry Warren wrote like 42nd Street and wrote like Jeepers Creepers. And like he wrote, they both wrote all of these hits. They're like two very, very talented composers. And that's why it's so funny to me that there aren't more like memorable songs than this necessarily. I think the movie came out like in January, but like it was like the summer and the fall the song was recorded by a bunch of people, including Judy Garland and all these, uh, you know, all these kind of big names. Where it's like, when we watch that big number, where they keep like, the, mm-hmm. you know, it keeps changing in that classic kind of '40s way. Where like, oh, we're gonna change it here. Like, you don't even hear the melody anymore because we have, you know, all this crazy harmony and stuff. It's like you, everybody in the audience already knows it, and so you can do that stuff where we just keep spinning the theme because I think they came. I mean, they came for Judy Garland and like see a show but you they kind of came for the song i would think because it was like that's all they heard for the last six yeah, it was a, it was a huge hit yeah it was released uh before this movie ever came out and because i think it was written when they were making this movie it qualified like it did win the academy award for best song um but yeah it was a pop hit like bing crosby sang it the pied pipers i guess originated it and then judy came out with her single of it and i love her single but when i listen to it i miss i miss all the weird background of like I'm from Chillicothe, Ohio. Like, I miss all that. (laughs) Um, My very favorite moment, maybe in the whole movie, is when they all line up together and the train starts to leave and they, like, the whole giant company does the movement of the slow train building up together and then they do the call and repeat with each other. That might be my favorite moment in this whole movie. I love it so much. I will, like, stop it and rewind it and go, like, oh, that's so satisfying. I can't quite explain why. The fact that it's Judy Garland and the Scarecrow together in the front doing it, like, it's just a big, it's just a big warm hug. It's one of those great moments like it builds up wonderfully it's just it's great i love that moment too well and they link arms and for a minute it looks like they're doing the wizard of ozzy walk you know and it almost looks too like i know she was in a really bad time during filming like she was not mentally emotionally healthy during the filming of this there's a moment where it looks like he's helping her along like he sees like oh you're not feeling great let me help you along. And another cool thing about Judy in this movie is, so she was having a rough time on set. Like sometimes she wasn't showing up. Sometimes she wasn't ready to go. But what she would do was when she was on point, she'd watch how the scene was supposed to be done and do it in one take. So she'd watch her like double and be like, okay. And then she'd go in and just like do it. Oh, Judy. She's a pro. A pro. She's the best. One take. But Virginia O'Brien, I want to talk about her and Sid Charisse because Sid Charisse is in this and this is her first speaking role ever and she's a damn legend and there she just is being like the quiet pretty one who dances in the background and kisses kenny baker's character they also never settle their future as well but we assume they end up together because they smooched and it's the past (laughs) but yes virginia o'brien she's the one who plays alma she was like a famous singer from the 40s she's famous for being like deadpan and sassy and the origin story of that on the internet is that she was very nervous during her first like film performance and she was like really still and did things really deadpan, but people thought it was a comedic choice and they laughed at it. So that was like her character forever after. Um, in films, she doesn't really behave like that, but that's like her stage persona and that's how she became famous. 
They keep making references to her and this being ugly, and that pissed me off continually. Like, she's gorgeous. Maybe because she's tall, maybe. She literally is, like, beautiful and has a nose. There ain't nothing wrong with a nose, on the record. Like, she has a, a feature and big eyes. But it's like, I literally was like, it kind of looks like Zoe. Thank you, Kyle. That's right. Although, I did mentally cast this, and that's who I cast you as, Zoe. Right. It's like, Zoe would obviously play this part. Who are we kidding? Everyone would. Yeah. And Kyle said Cherise. <laughs> and I'm said Cherise because of my lanky legs. Speaking of appearances, I am wearing a Western shirt just for the theme. I just thought we were getting the classy treatment. Pearl buttons and everything. Look at that, oh Kyle. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I was I was admiring it, but now I'm admiring it even more. I really appreciate it. That's a choice. Um, but I'm glad you were all on board with that as well. She's like, I showed them my Miss Lonely Hearts picture and they sent it back. And I'm like, that's nonsense. Jerks? <laughs> no. I mean, I know she's in obviously in other movies because I've like, seen her, but is she already a like known factor by this point too? Or that like... So people are just like, that's her care. That's who she is. So we know, like, we that's what we're expecting, even if it's not really who she is. Buy into it more. Yeah. Because okay. she kind of came up as a singer. And so people knew her from, like, singing performances. Yeah. And then she kind of graduated to playing roles. So by this point, like, people know her. She's got a face for radio. Which is, again, sad because she's, like, adorable and gorgeous yeah. and fun. And was pregnant filming this. And you she can't, looks, and she I looks great. couldn't tell. She looks great. Not that it matters. If she, Whatever. I don't know how right? to phrase that. Right, I know. She nah. looks great. But Kyle brought up Sid Charisse's legs. Sid Charisse is famous for having these long dancer legs, like literally singing in the rain. Her legs have their own shot, right? And this whole film, it was so interesting to see her dance. I mean, I've seen it several times before, but taking note of it, it's so interesting to see her dance without seeing her legs. Because it was all about like her skirt choreography. She's one of the only people that kind of has her own dance. And she does this like solo dance that's very pretty and very Agnes DeMille's Kyle had mentioned earlier, like a lot of arms and swirling, twirling skirts. But it was very interesting to see like that feature of her that she's so famous for, like taken away and to like have to focus on another aspect of Sid Charisse. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Plus, it's just cool to see her so young because she's so she becomes so iconic. So to like just see someone in their younger early days is just it's just really cool in general. And without that, like the short hair, like she like doesn't have like yeah. the, her defining like look yet. Not mm. at all. Not at all. It took me like a hot second to be like, oh, oh. Oh, the first time I saw are. it in high school, I didn't clock it. No. Also, yeah. oh God, this is embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The first time I saw this in high school, I thought that the love interest was Ray Bolger. Because I, I, it came up on my TCM as like starring Judy Garland and Ray Bolger. And I was like, the scarecrow? <laughs> so I was like, is that the guy that played the scarecrow? He's kind of cute. He's kind of hot. And then I obviously eventually did realize that it was not him. Because then the scarecrow dances. And I went, oh, that's clearly, that's the scarecrow. Okay. Yeah, but I definitely made that mistake as a younger person. And I don't even know that I recognized Sid Charisse as a younger person because she looks so different. If I hadn't looked at the cast list or like paid attention in the beginning, I don't think I would have known at all. It's just at the bottom, so unassuming. All of their names, yeah. and then Sid Charisse on the bottom. Yeah, like hey you. Speaking of the the little Wizard of Oz moment, my I was like surprised how much I liked this because it's I usually think I'm into like the song, but mm -hmm. the the train must be fed actually was like 
one of my big highlights. It reminded me of like when they're getting like glammed up in the Emerald City. It was stylized, weird close-ups and like people just turn at like 45 degrees on like a weird row. They're like, here's 30 seconds of expressionism for no reason or something. And just, what? But you're like, I dig it. Dig well, and it. it's a patter song. But then has choral in it. So it's like, we're gonna patter all our stuff. And it's a da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> like, it's like such a weird mix of like so weird. the it's choral so weird. and the patter. I wonder if the so director weird. was just like, we gotta do something with this because this song is weird. Come thunder, come lightning. Like Vogue for the eyes. Yeah. But I loved it. I, love I loved it. it though. And it's yeah. like, and it's short and you get over it and you move on. It was like, uh, I love it. It's a lot of fun. Well, and yeah, again, a really cool example of like, they didn't really use choreography. It is all about the camera, where the camera is placed and yes. what they were doing in their like little picture image. And they use like really intense close-ups for <laughs> brief yes. moments. It's just, it's really cool. And we learn all about the Harvey girls and what's expected of them. So it drives the plot forward. Definitely. This isn't the only sort of musical Western, you know, or like, I think of like dancing cowboys as like an archetype of these things. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just because Oklahoma is very prevalent, but like you see it in um, Southern Brides that you guys watch as well. It's like yeah. these like masculine characters, but then they, they dance and it's like, this is not part of that. We, that is not, we don't have that here. We don't do that here. It's like, it's like that archetype oh, hasn't no. like been put into the system yet. So I was thinking about this because I was like, okay, so like I'm getting certain flashes of certain films and like some of them come after this, some of them come before this. And one of the ones was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, um, obviously, on like Easter Parade. There's a whole bunch. But I did clock that they all were wearing these very colorful scarves. And I was like, is this the pre-Seven Brides for Seven Brothers cowboy <laughs> colorful moment? Are they establishing already that colors and cowboys go together? Um, that's what, that was what I was thinking in my head during Atchison Topeka, because there was the group of cowboys, you're right, they don't really dance, but they do sing and they do a very brightly colored um, and opposing shirts versus silk collar. I saw it too. I was like, Thank seven you. primary colors. Please do a dance. <laughs> but then they don't. Do a dance, raise a barn. They don't. Kyla brought up earlier, you wanted it to feel more like stage door. And for me, I actually feel really empowered by this film because what I love in her love interest is that he values like powerful women. He's not really interested in her until she stands up to him and he's like, oh, you're really smart. I like that you're challenging me. And I mean, he's really into Angela Lansbury's character, who's also, Zoe mentioned this, like she's not just like a one dimensional character. She's got a lot going on for her. And she's his business partner, really. I mean, they're, they're running that together, it seems to me. Equals, and he wants to do things fair and square. There's that line that Judy has about like, if both of us are together, it has to be equally. Like we have to come together equally. So I feel a lot of like equality in this relationship and and an admiration of like not just putting women into a traditional role but letting them have a voice so like while it is you know annoying that all of the women pretty much want to get married and that's the only future that they really see for themselves i think it's like a, a better marriage than others of the time definitely like, you know? surprisingly like holds up okay with modern feminism this one where you're not you're not just like constantly slapping yourself it literally starts off with like a mail-order bride that is like we're, we're doing that again and what's cool about that trope is the writing. They fell in love off screen. So we already trust that they're in love because they bared their souls through these letters and we know that he's artistic. So it's like, oh, we already know girl. that they're in love. So we're not worried about it. A little shop around the corner action yeah. going on. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And we buy into it more because of that. When I first saw the scene of like, oh, she's meeting, you know, her, what's his name? Like the drunkard guy. 
Heartsy. My very, you know, pessimistic brain was like, oh, fuck, like, he's gonna be awful. He's gonna be like, we gotta get married. You're doing a guy on your real pretty. And they didn't at all, which was great. And for some reason, which I still have yet to understand, maybe he actually just is a good guy, but he's like, I don't want to marry you. And I'm like, really? That's Judy Garland. The entire town stopped singing for her to exit a train. You don't want nothing to do with her? Good for you, drunkard of the town. Like, I was very happily surprised and, like, breathed a sigh of relief. I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be just fine. <laughs> well, he's kind of into Marjorie Maine, the cook. He's like, oh, that's acceptable for me. And then at the end, they're kind of, like, shown to be a little couple. So he just love at first sight from Ma Kettle. I feel like they totally end up together. That yeah. smooch, that beginning smooch, that sealed the deal. Kyle, I'm on board with you. They yeah. end up together. Can we go through the fates of everybody just because the movie doesn't? A lingering question I had, besides like what the hell happened to Virginia O'Brien, is like, what does he do for a job now? Like, Thank maybe you. he'll become the judge? Because I was like, oh, he doesn't have a saloon anymore. What's he going to do for a living? Yikes. I don't feel like he's like a hands-on farmer, dude. <gasps> I just realized he is Hallmark. He's the Hallmark origin story. He figures out greeting cards because he writes such a good letter. His letters are so good, a girl crossed the country for him. <laughs> That's it. He invents Hallmark. Okay. Or becomes the judge. <laughs> Either or. Equal, equal possibility. Maybe he's like, I'm the town telegrapher. Come to me with your telegraphs. Maybe. All of those things. Okay. And like, what happens to the judge? Like, does he get arrested by the town? He's not dead. Like, he got knocked out. Yeah, I think they must have captured him and put him in jail. But then the other guy got away. The murderer who murdered the blacksmith before this blacksmith. That was the Wild West. Wild West. Nothing counted. That was before Harvey Girls, and then it changes. Okay, so what else? Uh, there's Sid Charisse and Terry. I, I think that they become a song and dance duo on Tour the World. Oh, that'd be sweet. And fun fact about him, I just want to put this out there because Cat Day was a guest on our show we did about Mildred Pierce, and that guy that was singing that, that tenor, who's like not, sorry to say this, he's not super attractive, so you're like, I don't really see you with Sid Charisse, but whatever. Um... But he used to be on the Jack Benny show and he left so that my friend's grandpa could be like the star and that like start his career. Dennis Day took over for Kenny Baker and I, I think he's better. Um, but I just think that's so interesting that there's like a tie into that of like the guy in this movie like made way so my friend's grandpa could have a career. <laughs> so there's that. I do also love in the beginning how Judy Garland is like so interested in not being conventional. She's like, look, I was living in Ohio. It was safe there. I really crave adventure. I just kept thinking of Belle. Like, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. Great wide somewhere. And the line about like, the, the Constitution guarantees us the pursuit of happiness, but I've got to do the pursuing. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I, I just uh, love it. I loved the spunk that she has. But also like, how good was Ohio if you're on a train and you have no food for the end of your trip? Like, was was things that great in Ohio? Were you doing all right? How long is this trip? That's a long Other time. Other girls had fried chicken and they were doing just fine with their extra chicken. The Harvey people gave them that chicken. Oh, the corporate. They got corporate food. Yeah, corporate chicken. This is a real fact about the Harvey girls. So in order to train them, they would make stops at Harvey houses along the way so they could see how things were run. And they would get like a ton of food. So like... 
Judy might not be buying food along the way necessarily. She might have all that she brought. But at each, like, Harvey pit stop, those Harvey girls are loading up on fresh food. Got yeah, it. there you go. More and you know. back in the day, you could not trust on-the-road places. Again, I learned all of this from this podcast. You couldn't trust on-the-road places. So Harvey, Harvey girls were like – or like the Harvey House, it was um, Fred Harvey Company. That was like a place you could trust. So it's almost like McDonald's now where it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to get. If I'm on a road trip and like I have to stop and like pick up something, like it's... It's a price gouge. Yeah, you just like know what you're getting. Because it used to be like, this has maggots in it, eat it. And there were no standards. I was talking to my mom and dad the other day because I, I remember that my grandma, like, I don't know if I watched it for, this movie first with her or she liked it or something. So I was asking them about it. And they were like, oh, my my dad's dad, my grandpa worked for the train companies. And so they, a couple of their few vacations they ever went through were like on trains in like the 60s. And when they went to the Grand Canyon in like 1963, they actually ate at a Harvey house that like still existed. So some of these like still existed. So the idea, especially in 1946. So it's interesting too that the, like, can you imagine watching a movie and it's about like Applebee's? Like these things still existed and like, it's kind of an ad too, which is kind of weird. Like it's got to, it must have helped them, but it's like they still were around to at least to some extent, um, which seems wild. He said they were, they didn't wear the outfits though. That was the main thing I asked, of course. The like, nun outfits, the nun waitress outfits. Puritan. <laughs> Although I guess in the twenties, they changed them to like lift the skirts up a little bit so you could like see their ankles. Oh my God. I know. And that's where society went asunder speaking of society going asunder we haven't we have not talked about angela lansbury enough oh, we have angela not, lansbury okay. oh. so angela lansbury huge fan <laughs> murder she wrote is my jam zoe and i have had this conversation in real life about how like our entire lives angela lansbury has always kind of been older i feel like she was born at 65 until yesterday when I saw her in this. It was a big moment for me. Like in a couple of years, she's playing Elvis's mom. Well, and even bed knobs and broomsticks. You think she's so much older because I don't know, you're a kid. I don't know what it is. She has like an older aura about her or something. She 100% does. Yeah. Isn't she like 21 or something in this? Like she's real young. First of all, she is sexy in this. She is sexy as hell. Yeah. And her outfits, she has a black outfit in this. One, I was obsessed with it because no one else wore black except the Harvey girls in their uniforms. And two, I was like, okay, Gottmik on Drag Race would wear this today. I was like, this <laughs> is iconic. This is awesome. There's an interesting Venn diagram. People that listen to this, and it's bigger than you think probably the middle there. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Drag Race is a very famous show. <laughs> um, so she was great in this. She's a great actress. Um, she does not get enough credit for her work in her youth. Because like, before this, like her breakout role as Gaslight in 1944, I feel like she's 19. So Kyle, you're right. She must have been like 21 when she made this. But she like bursts on the scene at 19, does Gaslight, does Picture of Dorian Gray, does this. That's like three huge, awesome roles right in a row to be so young, to have this level of confidence. She kicks a man off the stage in her musical number. Yeah, the, the badassery involved in that. And it was like a no big thing. It's like, this happens every night. Kick. It's wonderful. She also just leaves the stage in the middle of the number to go talk about business. She left. And I, it was one of the things, like, I remembered, like, probably the only song in this besides, like, the train song that I could kind of, like, hum. And I was like, it's not even a number. Like, they sing it 
twice and then she walks off the stage and I'm like, it's still going on. You can hear the background. She didn't even take her bow. She just left. She doesn't need to. She's a run in the company. In my head, that's what I pictured for her future. Like when she marries that gold dust man, in my head, I'm like, she's going to help run that company. Like, yeah. She's going to do that. One thing that was interesting, they had like the reconciliation at the end and like maybe we aren't that quite different because in the beginning, I remember I was watching this and I kind of noticed how they introduced Judy and I thought that was kind of like just kind of funny and like awesome. But the next music thing that we hear, we, it isn't the train thing. Before you hear Angela Lansbury talk, she's singing a ballad also at the piano like they kind of have these same introductions for these like drastically different women and maybe it's because they were more similar than we thought and she's singing the just you wait song so she's singing the the what what would be later in the movie like the pure new love you know very straight laced number like that's what she's singing you know, it's a different version of the human experience. She's not this evil person. She's not this sinner person. She's just like a person who made different choices. She's a different version. Yep. I love it. And I just realized, well, first of all, in the costume choices. So she has the scene where she's all in black and Judy's all in white. They like have them, you know, like these are their fancy dresses. One's fancy dress is black, one's is white. And then um, they each have the same moment of Judy notices Angela Lansbury is in love with Ned just by like watching. She takes these cues. And then the same moment happens at the end with Angela Lansbury, her noticing that love is there. It's like almost the exact same moment. It's the same moment, but juxtaposed. Angela's movie starts at the end of this. That's her real journey. Oh, I'd watch the crap out of that movie. I wrote down a quote from her song, Because I Died. Wait, Oh You Kid? Or the other it's from Oh You Kid. So, you know, oh, you kid, you lovey-dovey kid. I, I wrote it down. Let me see if I It's like, my heart is going tingling. If you like chicken, grab a wing. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't. It's not even her singing voice. And we all know Angela Lansbury is a Tony Award-winning singer. I think there was a thing where they, like, found old footage of, like, a bunch of, like, musicals where it was like, like, hey, Angela Lansbury, we're going to make you look at, um, like, when you were in gypsy and like you probably never seen this footage and she's like oh and they ask her about her singing voice like did she like you know come to broadway and like who helped you find your voice and stuff and she was kind of very much of like i did it all on my own and i was very concerned about it being like like round and warm and like that's like she like these goals then i watched this and i was like oh you mean kind of like the voice they dubbed you in because <laughs> that's sort of what like well, round and warm, that's all it is. It's just like, is. Oh my God, yeah. so she might have had like a complex about this, how she like just wanted to sound like her dubbed voice. She doesn't even know. Angela, you can call me. Those years of therapy. Over! We figured a breakthrough. By the way, Angela Lansbury is still alive to this day. She is 95 years old. I saw her in a play when I believe she was 90 and she was fantastic. So Angela, a huge fan. I know you listen to the show. We love you. <laughs> we love you. We love, love you. I watch Murder, She Wrote all the time. These people can attest. Did you go to the stage store to see her? I didn't. Our mutual friends, Brent and Aaron, did, and she told them she would not take a selfie with them. I love that story. I think she's just like, don't do that. Oh, I love her. <laughs> that was great. Oh, I love her so. <laughs> okay, so I did want to talk about uh, George Sidney because he is the director and he is super cool and he's a great musical director. So George Sidney. Speaking of Elvis films, that's what triggered it. 
Viva Las Vegas. He directed, that was one of his last like fun films. He basically, he didn't discover Anne-Margaret, but he directed Bye Bye Birdie, realized what a freaking star Anne-Margaret was, added a bunch of extra numbers in that movie just for her, and then put her in Viva Las Vegas. But he directed so many like noteworthy musicals. Hold on, let me get on my list. Thousands Cheer with Gene Kelly, Anchors Away with Gene Kelly. He directed that segment where it's like Gene Kelly with Jerry the Mouse dancing together. That's him. He directed that. He's done a ton of musicals. Like I know he did Showboat. Uh, he did Bathing Beauty, the Esther Williams one, um, Kiss Me Kate, Pal Joey, uh, Zigfield Follies. Like those are those are some of his like noteworthy films. His dramas didn't do as well. I've seen only a few of them. Like I saw Cast Timberlake with Spencer Tracy, and like it's good. But he he really excels at musicals. He knows how to how to make things pop without like insane choreography necessarily but then he also knows how to tell a story with insane choreography like in anchors away so i don't know he's he's very good at musically storytelling he just really like gets the medium of film musical although i disagree to this day with the fact in viva las vegas they did not tie elvis and Anne margaret did not tie she was better than him and she should have outright won the talent competition oh the talent competition there's a talent competition and they tie and i'm sorry but that's nonsense she won she danced he stood with a guitar. It's not a competition. It was rigged. Like in Dreamgirls. Yes. Poppy didn't win. She should have won. You are correct, Kyle. Yeah, it was and, rigged. But, so yeah, George Sidney just wanted to like, hey you, George Sidney, because he's great. Um, so now it's time that we head into the modern lens. We're going to put a modern lens on this piece. Some things I did not care for. Don't love that, like, there's the way they treat people of color. How, first of all, they have that character, John Henry who's a black man who he's kind of like their servant and they don't at, at the saloon and they don't necessarily have him. They give him a solo that doesn't sound like stereotypically terrible. Like he's not putting on a voice or an accent or anything, but it's still like he's part of their wait staff. That's almost like he's less of a thought. Like they do call him, his name is John Henry. Like John Henry is like, you know, like the black Paul Bunyan. You know what I mean? Like they, he has a kind of like, a nice namesake at least but besides that he's basically scenery which is like same for like the native american folks exactly well it's obviously not really indigenous people like very clearly it's like white people that they've put into braided wigs and have them doing like stereotypes of what we think indigenous people would be the like positive side of that coin is that they all share space together and seem to get along like their neighbors uh they're getting True. along the negative side is they're never allowed in the spaces where the white people are which isn't even actually accurate with harvey houses they unfortunately like did not allow people of color necessarily to wait staff at first which sucks but they did allow indigenous people like in their restaurants it wasn't segregated like it everyone could eat there um but what i noticed in this film is like if you were playing if you were a white person in a wig playing an indigenous person you were not allowed in the public spaces you were only seen outside and I was like, there is a whole lot of messed up happening here. Yeah. And generally, like whenever, a lot of times when a white person saw one of the indigenous people, there was, there was like, I'm afraid of you face. And then they moved on as well. Like that's the only, like, that's the only really commentary about them being on screen is that somebody glanced at them and looked scared. And now I'm moving on. Like it was almost it was like a non-moment moment. 
whenever they were on screen. I wrote, oh, of course the mean girl's racist. So the girl that's like a brat to Judy on the train is the one that makes that face when she gets off the train and like an indigenous mm-hmm. person tries to help her and she's like, ah. And I, my literal note was like, oh, of course the mean girl is racist. Of course she is. <laughs> Ray Bolger in the beginning of that Black Christmas scene has a scene too where he was like, he's like, ah. Oh, because don't they like wave to him? Aren't they like, hello? And he's like, ah. Or they're, okay. Yeah, they're, there's something going on there. I've, but, it's not that. positive, but again, there's it's kind of like space. They're there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could be. It was shocking how it wasn't worse to me. Yes. Like that's it, a good point. Yes. Like there's so many things of this era or even after this era that are so like, oh, like, like so many face plants in a row where this was just like, I don't know. Is that better or worse? Yeah. It's. It's not the greatest, but like it could be, it could be worse. Oh, classic films. The other one that's like a little more like hidden to me, the name of the saloon is the Alhambra, which is like the famous Islamic palace in Spain where like the Moors came in and it's like beautiful, but it's like, is that because it's exotic or is it because of like sheiks with harem or something like that like i'm not sure what the connotation is supposed to exactly be but yeah. it, it's probably not great is what I, pointing it out. You're chances right. are also i've been there in real life and it's one of the most beautiful places i've ever seen in my whole life me too i haven't been a lot of places but it is amazing my other grandmother i talked about my own grandmother my other grandmother she went on like a her and my grandpa went on like a tour of the world and stuff like went everywhere because they were like we better do this before we're too old we can't do it and she said that the Alhambra was the most beautiful place in the whole world so we got there Sarah we did it we, we did don't it. go anywhere else or you can go to a saloon also called that apparently thank you for pointing that out yeah I didn't really track that thank you I also think it's annoying that like all of their goals pretty much are to get married that's like another modern lens thing that doesn't hold up because they weren't really they're like adventurous but they're not even allowed to think beyond a future of not getting married necessarily but yeah besides all of that it's still slightly feminist. Again, the male hero, they don't make him this like toxic masculine dude. They have like a lot of really like meet cute moments of him being like, don't fall down. And then he falls down and she's like, ha ha ha. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And then at the end when they're running towards each other and they both trip and then they look up at each other and I was like, ooh, this is rom-com heaven. The musical in general and then like the Western too are these genres where we are so reliant on archetypes to like get information like but like this is actually kind of skewing people and making them a little more real and interesting ways that you would not expect especially out of a a musical where it's like you see them and you already know this information because you've seen that same character in quotes you know in five other things um that were in the movies and then i think that kind of lets them actually play with it a little bit more because you kind of there are expectations to be changed yeah that's a good point I also just like, I love the color palette of this film. Like the sets are really beautiful. The colors are really beautiful. It gives me a lot of Leave Her to Heaven vibes. I feel like it's because maybe the Southwest, like mid-century modern Southwest style was kind of like a newer thing back then. So they were starting to utilize it a little more. But yeah, it's it's like a really beautiful looking film with the exception of the opening number where you can very clearly see like the fake images behind them. Besides that, it's pretty gorgeous. And when they show like California in the back, they're like, look at this desert. And it's like the California mountains. And I'm like, that's not a, that's California. That's green. They're grassy desert. It's not just a desert. It's like all these like interesting plants that you've never seen before. And like what, you know. And why would no one go out there? 
It was stunning. They were like, no one goes out there but him. And I'm like, do they not like nature? It's beautiful. Too hot, Sarah. We already thought it's too There's hot. snakes. I'm waiting until 1985 when there's air conditioning in there. And then I will go to the Harvey house in Arizona. Although her in that white dress sitting on the dirt, I was like, no, Judy, no, there are no cleaners. Most unrealistic thing. When she like just pulled out her wedding dress on a dirty ass train and then like leaned up against the the frame of the car and she was like, Oh, I'm gonna be a bride. It's like, that's your wedding dress. Where it put it back in the box. My note was like, You're getting your lipstick on it, Judy. Keep it away from your face. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, and the white dress moment was just like in Meet Me in St. Louis, how she's got the wrap on her head and they have the breakup moment. And I was like, You this is just Meet Me in St. Louis. It's yes. like a different version. It's if Mimi and St. Louis in Oklahoma got married. MGM, because they control you and have you on contract, they're like creating like a journey for your persona to. Well, and like I said, she didn't even want to be in this, but I'm glad that she was because Yolanda and the Thief isn't like, I think this is a better film than that one. I think it's better because she was part of it. It's surprising that the Santa Fe being such a big song that doesn't like follow with her. That's not something she's doing at the palace with a medley with the trolley song. It's just like maybe because she didn't like it. Maybe. I think it's a very Judy song. Like, they still play it on the Sinatra station and stuff. Like, it still gets played. But you're right. I, I wonder why she didn't take, like, personal charge over it. Yeah. And this movie isn't in the... In, isn't in pop culture as much as a lot of other, quote-unquote, big movies of hers either. Like, I had I had not heard of it until you told me to watch it. You know, I know other people who are, like, fairly into older movies are just people who are older. And I mentioned this movie, and they're like, oh, I haven't heard of that. I was like, oh, I think I watched it once. I don't know. I don't remember what it is. Like, it's not on the forefront of people's minds when you think of Judy, like, Meet Me in St. Louis. Like, you know, a lot of the ones we've mentioned on the show so far. It was, I didn't know what it was until yesterday until i watched it <laughs> <laughs> i think it's because it's like the quote-unquote lesser meet me in st louis like a lot of things we love about that film the nostalgia the homey feeling like the way they do the set dressing a lot it's just a normal set like they have crepe paper hanging up from the walls like it's nothing too fantastic um but it feels special because of the way it's shot and the costumes and the way it's treated so i feel like it has similar qualities but isn't quite as polished as that or maybe polished isn't the right word it's like the, the source material isn't as good as Meet Me in St. Louis. So that one kind of overshadows this, but I think this one's still a gem um, that I really like. I recorded the, did I do that? It's a pre-Urkel, did I do that? Which I really liked. And also Calamity Jane does this too, the thing with the guns where it's like, she accidentally shoots something, but in this one, she really does shoot it. In Calamity Jane, it's a trick. Like she doesn't really shoot it, but someone makes it look like she does. So people will listen to her. Not Calam, but Katie. It's another movie, but it's a, the same thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the pre urkel did I do that? And then the, the rattlesnake shadow, I really was like, <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fairly big, like, joke, not joke for, like, to scare somebody away. It's like, I'm going to trap a rattlesnake. I'm going to sneak up to a room where there's 13 women around all the time and just stick it in a closet and hope it works out for me like that's a high risk plan there i mean after you shoot a window and a light out off of the ceiling when you don't know who's in the house like where you gotta go you gotta go right to venom things could have gone so poorly so many times the burning the house down like 
Right? The bad guys burned down the Harvey house. Thank God no one was inside of it. Also, these people have lost all of their belongings except for the gong, which was a real thing. That was factual. Yeah, those ballet slippers are gone. The ballet, the ballet, she'll never sell them. They will get burned. Yeah, but they're burned now. They're charcoal. But yeah, they do some terrible things. The meat's kind of funny. And I love that there's a track in the song list that's like, Judy gets the meat. (laughs) That's the name of the track. She throws down the raw meat and she says, very rare. Like, but that's as mean as he gets. And apparently people really were doing shit like that to Harvey houses. They really were trying to scare, like, that was a real situation. Um, but I don't know that any of them were burned down <laughs> by a yeah. judge. I do think one thing that we didn't talk about in our modern viewpoint was also the idea that, like, in the placards in the beginning that, these women are bringing civilization to like a part that already like had people there for hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> and that the right. idea that like, like, it's not just enough that like get the white people showed up and now there's like people there, but now it's like, it wasn't even civilized until we had white ladies there that were making steaks, I guess. But yes, 100%. So we can end this on a high note here. Mm. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad, I'm glad that you brought all that up because it's true. I love how when the train rolled in to the station, there was like everyone singing a big dance number, like this whole like dusty town. I'm like, this is a storyline that Westworld is missing. Like this right here. This is what I would go to Westworld for. Every day at four in Westworld, the music number shows up <laughs> The for music number minutes. happens. What a glorious vacation that would be. I'd pay. Although I didn't really watch Westworld. I only know the idea of it. So maybe that I was about to be like, I probably should watch Westworld before I start. The Venn diagram of this viewership, this listening trip and and Westworld is a lot lower than this, than RuPaul's Drag Race. I did mark down that Virginia O'Brien, there was one part where she's singing her Wild West song and she makes a horseshoe because she knows how to make a horseshoe better than the blacksmith. Zoe knows I'm going to say, she holds it, the fire in her hands and it stressed me out so hard. And it's and red. Like, it stressed me out so bad. I'm like, don't touch it. Because she crushed it up to that point. And it's not her fault. It's whoever, like, staged it, right? But you're just like, oh, she just put hands on a scalding hat. I, I missed that. And I was like, this is real. I was like, did they? How did this happen? I was buying it. So That's why it was so stressful. Because I bought in. I was like, this is real. And now you lost all your epidermis on your hands. Sue MTM. She was really making that horseshoe. Like, she knew it, it was, was up. Real. It was real. And then she did that. And I was like, no. Why? But it's also so funny because she's like, I worked hard my whole life. I thought I'd find love. And you get the sense that if she does marry Ray Bolger's character, which I suspect she will, she's still going to be doing all the work. <laughs> like he's going to be oh, sitting 100%. there in the corner. I don't know what he's going to be doing. Because what does horses. he do? Afraid of horses, afraid of blacksmithing because he doesn't know how to do it apparently. Yeah. He made some great life choices. <laughs> and he does some great barrel leaps. That's all we know. It is, I think, the reason like this movie is not like up there with some of the others is like we're missing this extra storyline that's gonna take up time in a good way from the 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 romance and kind of make it more refreshing when we go back and forth and stuff they didn't follow through on a lot of things and i wanted them to i feel like this is like the movie full of good ideas yeah but it's like still enjoyable to watch like it's not worth throwing away you know what i mean So it's like a movie full of good ideas that's like not perfect, but like there's still some treasure there. Yeah. The fact that like anytime Judy is on screen, you just are happy. Like she, I mean, it's such a ridiculous thing that 
she lights up, captivates you. It's interesting. You're there for it. And then when my interest wanes a bit or when I start seeing some of the things that aren't followed through with or aren't flushed out as much as maybe they should be, it's always the stuff that Judy isn't in. Um, when Judy's on screen, I'm real happy, but I start seeing a little bit of the holes when the focus isn't on her anymore. Except with Angela Lansbury. I'm there for Angela Lansbury as well. Yes. Angela Lansbury doesn't get to do, she doesn't really have like a full number. Like her numbers really exist in reality. They're performative. Like she is a performer in the movie performing. Like she doesn't get her own, like, this is my song. This is my story. But even that, like, that's when you expect it to have, like, a full number. So many of these musicals are about the show. People get the numbers. Her numbers exist in reality. And, like, she's not part of what these musical people and somebody. She's kind of living in this other world. Angela Lansbury's like, I live in reality. Life's hard. I'm only going to sing when it's, <laughs> when it's called like, for. I'm trapped in this musical and I want to get out. What I also like about this, though, in the musical numbers is that it's not so much about the showmanship but about like the moments so it showcases things that we wouldn't normally necessarily care about or see in a musical like judy dances with ray bulger and they they do it's like they have this waltz number and no one's super great at the waltz it's just waltzing but they have like a fun moment where it's just the two of them and they're dancing and she's like not a perfect dancer she looks like what a real like what of us would look like if we were dancing for a group of people for fun and then they give like marjorie main a moment dancing like to comedically dance so it's it's kind of like you get this real people sensation of like i'm watching people who are specialized at this but who could be me it's got that like extra layer of that in the musical that meet me in st louis has yeah it's not super heightened yeah with this gloss i think it's that oklahoma influence too where like all the chorus were real people we get to have a dream ballet later we're all like doing crazy eggs as well but the one thing i was gonna say is that there i haven't i actually haven't looked at this but i read this saw this somewhere that there is like another judy number that was cut that's in that's entertainment three have you seen it? I haven't. I, well, I've seen That's Entertainment 3, so that means I probably but have seen recently. it. But not recently. And then I know they recorded a song called Hayride that didn't get filmed. And there were three songs that didn't make it. Um, and I don't remember. I know maybe that one was filmed. But there were a bunch of songs that did not make it in that were like written and ready to go. It's like dogies or something about like little dogies. So I'm sure it's very country western vibe hayride sung by judy garland and Bay, ray bulger was pre-recorded but not filmed so they had a moment somewhere see there's like all the i feel like once they like lost some of that virginia o'brien stuff like they cut his stuff too because it was like it doesn't go which sucks for him because he does do a great job i like his tap number as i mentioned earlier he does have great like barrel jumps his little leaps i guess they're not barrel jumps those little leaps that he does get great air he's just a little gumby and you kind of need the like the the these other people coming into like it's not just the women like the other people coming to the west and like being fish out of water kind of stuff too and that he's not doing it as good as the girls see more feminist leanings in this film we're gonna head into the double feature portion of this show i would say if you're watching this with another movie i mean meet me in st louis is probably the most perfect pair for it but like easter parade would be fun like another judy garland period piece she does a lot of good period pieces and the good old summertime is another good period piece of hers I mean, Kyle mentioned Oklahoma. I the film is good, but I would say I'd say go watch like the Hugh Jackman PBS one that Zoe and I used to be obsessed with. Yes, Hugh Jackman's never looked so good. I wrote a paper on that in theater one. I got an I'm trying to think. I mean, if you're gonna watch another George Sidney film, I feel like Anchors Away is pretty great. Um, and that's like right before this, so that would give you some good vibes. More transportation, frankly. 
Transportation We're missing detail. that boat song. Kyle, now my life is not complete. You're going to need to write that boat song. I feel like the Mel Brooks Western. I mean, it's a little more. What's, what's Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. I feel like you'll appreciate the like, how do we treat Westerns when they're not really traditional Westerns? That could be a fun double feature. Oh, and I forgot to obviously include Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Calamity Jane. If you're going to watch a Western that's a musical, you gotta. You guys were wonderful guests. We'll see you next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guests this week were Zoe Palco and Kyle Cirilla. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even become a supporter on anchor.fm. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me. Thanks for listening. <laughs>